0: Crawling in the dirt And for all the little piggies, life is getting worse Always having dirt To play around in Alright, we are back and joining us now, as promised in our first segment, is our special media correspondent Gary Chu. Gary, welcome back.
1: Hi Doug, good to be here, or there or wherever I might be on the phone here.
0: Out in the ether.
1: Yes, in the ether.
0: <laughs> now, uh, Gary, you had a chance to see this Enron movie that uh, that we, we we briefly alluded to previously in the show. What uh, what what'd you think?
1: Well, um, I think it's. Uh, and what's the name of it? It's called Enron: The Smartest Guys in the Room. Uh huh. And I've kind of, after seeing the film, <laughs> uh, thinking that maybe a better title could be offered, and it wouldn't be as ironic as the title <laughs> that Alex. Gibney has given his film Mm -hmm. it would be Enron the dumbest guys in any room (laughs) actually what the film brings out very carefully is that being smart and being wise are not necessarily the same thing so what
0: what does the film focus in on? I I understand there's a special segment about the California looting that took place bankrupting our uh, our whole uh, economy
1: yeah well you know it picks it up a little bit earlier than that when uh they passed deregulation of electricity or power here in california back when pete wilson was governor
0: right unanimous vote of both houses of the california legislature
1: and aside to that very quickly i know i was talking with somebody here in sacramento at that time when the legislature did that mm-hmm. and we were arguing a person the person said well boy i'm sure glad they've done that because that's really going to help us with our Power bills in our, our our homes, and I started laughing in the person's face, and they said, oh, "What's funny? If deregulating power, and I said this when they had just deregulated it too long before Enron. I said, if it does lower costs for electricity, I will kiss your <clears throat> where the moon don't shine at noon on a weekday on the steps of the Capitol in downtown Sacramento." I knew that I would be sure to not have to have to do that. And sure enough, I didn't.
0: Gary, there's a book out right now that whose title is, I can't put my hands on, there's a book that pretty much is painting Skilling as the bad guy and that Fastow and Lay were like almost innocent bystanders. Does, does the movie take that tack?
1: Skilling is, in this particular documentary by Alex Gibney, is, uh, it shows Skilling as being the real bad guy. And Lay kind of uh, above him sort of posturing being out of the loop, so to speak.
0: Uh, I think that's plausible deniability, don't you?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but, <laughs> but they go into the things, the Skilling's personality, and and one of the things that uh, Skilling had in his uh, professional reviews of the employees of Enron was that, I think it was like 15% of the staff had to be laid off because of poor performance uh, ratings, uh, which made the, the place almost like a, a, a building full of piranhas. You know, everyone was fighting to keep their job.
0: Right, but at the same time, right before, right before Enron goes belly up, they award the top execs $500 million in bonuses. Correct?
1: Right. Okay. And through, through a thing called Mark and Marketing, they were able to uh, cover what money was not being taken in by enron and uh... And, and just saying this is how much money we have made and these are our assets and the stock market just went crazy one of the interesting things about the film when you see it Doug, is keep your eye on the lower part of the screen cause occasionally they will superimpose a, a you know like a ticker like on cnn or something yeah what the actual stock market price of enron stock is at a particular moment in time, when a particular clip is being shown on the screen, right, and believe me, it goes up real high, and before the film is over, it goes down real low. Mm-hmm. And another compelling part of the film is uh, interviews with people who are just your average Joe Enron employee, who mm-hmm. you know may drive a truck for a power company or something. And one guy did, and he said that he had saved in retirement and whatever he said about around around 350 grand, and before he could unload it or liquidate it. It was worth twelve hundred dollars.
0: Right. They had some kind of law in effect to where you couldn't you couldn't do that. The 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 top guys did it, all did it, but the mm-hmm. the rank and file did not have the option. Mm-hmm. That's my understanding. Did that movie talk about that?
1: Uh, yeah, it did some. Uh, but back to you asked an earlier question, and that's about uh, California. Gray Davis has one of the best lines in the movie. Uh huh. Which- A one word line, something like. Uh, well, do you think that Enron was trying to bring your administration down and, and get you out of office and recall you with all of this going on with the California electricity and the, the power of California? Gray Davis has this big smile, and all he says back was, hello. <laughs> that's all he says. Hello. I mean, of course, yes, you're right. That certainly is what was going on. Well, now, of course, there may be a little bit of a reach there. We're not sure if that's. Absolutely so or not, but...
0: Well, one does wonder, Gary, that we know that our, our current governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, did meet with Kenny Boyle just true. before he announced his candidacy.
1: And it's mentioned in the documentary. Mm-hmm. They do show a few clips of Arnold, uh, not uh, with Lay, but uh, in connection with this meeting. Uh, I think they met somewhere in Beverly Hills or something at a, some time ago. And they have a few shots of Arnold in his campaign.
0: But Gary, Good movie.
1: Oh, yes, it's. Uh, I would say that it's it's not as inflammatory as uh, Fahrenheit 9-11. It's uh, actually slicker. Well done. It uh, sticks the scalpel in very deep and, and twists it very carefully. Uh, and uh, anybody who <clears throat> wants to feel morally superior to uh, Ken Lay and Jeff Skilling will enjoy seeing the film.
0: Now, uh, okay, so this will be opening, I guess, in the Sacramento area tomorrow?
1: I think it's... Yes.
0: Okay. It's going to be at the tower. Oh well, good. Well, I I think that uh, you know that a lot of our listeners are probably going to have an interest in seeing that movie, and I'm certainly going to going to do so myself. I recommend it to you. We may even do a little addendum part two after I've seen it. We can bounce around, uh, you know, some of the some further details. Great. So come back next week. Will do, Doug. Gary, thanks. Bye. Our thanks to Gary Chu, our special media correspondent. That would actually be very cool if we could um, reach Mr. Gibney, Alexander Gibney, I believe it is, the producer of The Smartest Guys in the Room. We're going to try. We'll try to get him on next week's show, and then and then maybe uh, give a little recap with Gary again about what it's all about. I, I, I certainly think it sounds promising and uh, worth checking out. All right, we've got a lot of items here in front of me that I want just, to uh, just get to... Um, The U.S. market for surveillance cameras has grown from $2 billion a year before 9-11 to $6 billion now, according to Reuters. According to CNN.com, the time spent deleting spam costs U.S. businesses almost $22 billion annually. And uh, let's see, from the Washington Post, baseball isn't the only sport in which players have been bulking up. It's noted that 25 years ago, five NFL players weighed more than 300 pounds. Now there are 433 300-pounders. And here's one of the saddest statistics that, uh, unfortunately, I can can vouch for in my own way from the Miami Herald. Among physicians 50 to 65 years old, 52% say they would not Choose medicine as a career today, according to the American Medical Association. Citing longer hours and lower take-home pay, 64% say they would not encourage their own children to follow in their professional footsteps. That is a sad situation. There's been a lot of ink spilled over the, uh, the selection of uh, A New Pope. Benedict XVI, and we probably should weigh in on that, I think, uh, on, on this public affairs uh, program. It was noted by Der Spiegel magazine in Germany that uh, Joseph Ratzinger uh, was approved by only 29% of Germans who wanted the Cardinal to become Pope, whereas 36% opposed him. Commenting on the uh, the death of Pope Paul II, um, Dalip Mukherjee, director of Christian Aid, had said, we were disappointed that he did not realize the Roman Catholic policy on condoms actually contributed to many deaths in the fight to control HIV-AIDS. Editorial in the Los Angeles Times noted that Pope Benedict uh, will only strengthen Vatican directives against the use of condoms in in AIDS-ravaged Africa. Ratzinger was head of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith. This is the Vatican agency that once conducted the Inquisition, formerly the Office of the Inquisition. He was the enforcer of Catholic doctrine and um, quickly became known for his severity. Progressive theologians and bishops suffered under his ideologic rigidity, and several were defrocked. And it is indeed not a, time, not a good time to be a liberal Catholic. Uh, Derek Jackson in the Boston Globe commented that it looks like the Church is not joining the 21st century anytime soon. Pope Benedict XVI, as Cardinal Ratzinger, is the man who called gay civil unions leg- the legalization of evil and who dismissed the widely publicized sexual abuse scandal involving hundreds of priests as an attempt to, quote, discredit the Church. But what I didn't know and find most alarming is that his insistence that Turkey, with a Muslim majority, has no place in Christian Europe. I must say, I, I do find it somewhat ironic that, uh, that Ratzinger was really the enforcer for Pope, Pope John uh, Paul II. The science magazine New Scientist noted that in Pope John Paul's last published work, he linked democracies that legalize abortion with the Nazi policy of mass murder. I, I am ashamed to have discovered uh, some years ago that uh, during World War II, the Vatican uh, never managed to speak out against uh, Nazi atrocities. Then, it just now wants to compare the legalization of abortion to the Nazis. And in another bit of hypocrisy that I would like to cite Luis Posada Carillas, a Cuban-born Venezuelan, has um, applied for political asylum in the United States. Luis Posada was a man who blew up a Cubana airline um, jet in 1976, killing all 73 passengers. After he escaped from prison, apparently in the 1980s, he was caught in Panama in 2000 with 40 tons of explosives, which he planned to detonate uh, under Fidel Castro, who was there for his summit. The Panamanian president inexplicably pardoned Posada, and from August 2004 until um, last month, authorities didn't know where he was. He's here in the U.S. He's applying for political asylum, a man who blows up airliners killing innocent civilians aboard. Uh, We're spending a lot of money on homeland security, we are supposedly embroiled in a worldwide war against terrorism. If this guy is granted political asylum in the United States, this is going to be the kind of you know political black eye that's just it's just mind boggling. I would note, however, that uh, Posada's co-conspirator in that plan to kill a bunch of innocent civilians on a Cubana jet airliner was. Orlando Bosch. Orlando Bosch, convicted for his uh, anti-Castro terrorism, received a full pardon under the first President Bush. We're going to keep an eye on that story. In a story that I find slightly amazing, Syria pulled its troops out of Lebanon. I think that looking uh, down the Tigris-Euphrates river basin to see what happened to neighboring Iraq motivated them to do whatever it took to make sure that the United States military forces did not uh, have Syria in the crosshairs, which, you know, I think a lot of Paul Wolfowitzes out there would would like to invade tomorrow. Nevertheless, I'm a bit surprised that after uh, the Bush administration demanded that Syria pull its troops out of Lebanon, where it's basically provided stability for for almost 30 years, well, they did. All 14,000 troops are apparently headed back to Syria. I got to say, if you followed what happened 20 years ago in Lebanon, uh, the fact that uh, the, the, the the Syrian army has provided stability—well, uh, it, it it was worse when the civil war was raging in Lebanon. I'll tell you that much. In nearby Iraq, there is not any uh, withdrawal of troops uh, underway. And in fact, what the Pentagon is doing with with our money, our tax dollars, is um, is arranging to have private contractors fill the role that was normally normally filled by um, U.S. military forces. Before the war, it was argued that going in with 135,000 troops was too small a number, and of course we've seen what's happened when uh, ill-trained reservists are expected to do the functions, provide the functions of uh, the regular military. Um, but reservists are not doing it. Regular military, military is not doing it. So we're having to go to dozens of private security contractors, such as Blackwater USA, article in last Sunday's B, uh, worth reading, a reprint from the Washington Post, and Scott Tyson. By the way, they're paying these guys 600 bucks a day. How much were they paying for military funerals for people brought back? Uh, the, the contractors, these private contractors, these mercenaries, that we're hiring to fight our war in Iraq for us, uh, are costing a lot of money. And um, the article followed a guy named Rich as uh, his, uh, his airplane basically corkscrewed down into Baghdad, which is a very dangerous place to try and land an airplane, noted that uh, their role is cloudy and controversial. They do shoot to kill, but they aren't legally considered combatants. U.S. military officials have expressed concern about violence in which the private contractors open fire. The contractor's mission is to protect the lives of individuals and cargo, but not necessarily to support the broader interests of the U.S. counterinsurgency. I noted also with interest uh, a a, a quote in The Economist earlier this month about Australia, one of our... um, supposed allies in this effort in, uh, in Iraq, that among 10 potential threats from the outside world, 57% of Australians believed American foreign policies were as dangerous as Islamic fundamentalism. You know what? I'm tired of talking politics. Um, let's do science for the rest of the show, shall we? This big attempt to take a break and make our entire third segment, Science. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. This is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. It is only a paper moon hanging over a cardboard sea, But it wouldn't be make-believe if you believe in me. It is only a canvas sky sailing over a muslin tree, but it wouldn't be make believe if you believed in me. it all your love, it's a honky tonk parade. it all your love, it's a melody played on a penny arcade. It's a Barnum and Bailey world Just as funny as it can be But it wouldn't be make-believe If you
1: believe in me